Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. My name's Justin Lee. I'm joined by Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. Howdy, gentlemen. Hey, guys. Hey. So, recording this on a Sunday morning. Um, what is this, the 23rd? Are we on the 23rd by now? Or Yeah, this is 23rd of April. Well, the time flies when you're having fun. However, there's really little fun to be had in uh, Mudville here in Detroit, but we'll talk more about just the general impatience of uh, the fandom in general uh, as we move along today. But I'm lots of things when you're when you're making bets uh, on your own team at your own facility, so you know, just gotta make, get those bets in. Yeah. You know, you know, uh, betting on your own team. I feel like that's gotten people in trouble in the past. Like, like, just there's something somewhere that just makes me think that that's come up before. Um, anyway, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about other fun things going on in Detroit sports. We'll also recap uh, a couple other things that happened since the last time we were on here. Little things like uh, the end of the NCAA tournament, the Masters, and so on and so forth. So. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. It's time for another Sports Emporium. So I figured we'd go back in time um, to an earlier time when things were simpler. Um, (laughs) Back to when we had the Elite Eight in uh, college basketball. And, uh, you know, we had remarked that it was a rather remarkable Elite Eight, no number one seeds, all that other good stuff. Florida Atlantic doing crazy pants things. And they continued to impress. Um, you know, upsetting Kansas State and then uh, UConn just destroying Gonzaga. Um, and then, um, you know, we had what? San Diego State uh, hang on to win. And then Miami, that ended up being our final four. And the Final Four went a little bit more according to what a traditional script might be. Um, I don't know. What were your takeaways? Is Of course, San Diego State ended the Cinderella run of Florida Atlantic, uh, and obviously a really crazy tight game. UConn breeze past Miami, and then obviously UConn ultimately winning it all. So what were your takeaways from all of that? I, I still am, am marveled by the, uh, you know, one, uh, one four seed, two five seeds, and a nine seed. And, and kind of to yeah. your point, Justin, is that, you know, it, you know, parody just ran amok, you know, this whole tournament, right? And then all of a sudden it was like, well, everything's going to fall in place now because you're going to have, you know, basically you're going to have a Big East team in UConn and a traditionally good basketball conference go ahead and they just they prevailed i mean and and, and there was not there, there was no question at the end, end who who was the national champion uh despite all the craziness that led up to it including a 16 over a one right but mm-hmm. i i i think you know and and, and I, i'll tell you something too is that i i think just to make it take the local perspective i think if you're a michigan state spartan at this point you're you're absolutely miserable because it was an opportunity of all opportunities, and especially the way it ended and what could have been. It's uh, it, it, it's very remarkable that there. I I, I don't 
I, I sense it, you know, from the Spartan nation, if you will, that it's, uh, you know, almost to be expected, but still you have to kind of cringe at the opportunity that was there. You're probably, uh, you know, probably in, in, in many ways you're looking at probably at, at minimum, if you had a little better execution, you're, you're in the final game. Um, but, but again, in the end, I think you probably do lose to UConn because UConn just really, I mean, like you said, with a parody run amok, it was very clear who was the best team in the nation based on how well they played throughout the whole turn. Yeah, they had, I mean, UConn just, just really, really wasn't close. Um, if you look at, you know, the games they played, margins of victory, how well they played defensively, you know, it really, really wasn't close. Uh, a pretty impressive showing by them. And, um, you know, do I think that they were, you know, there were some folks that were definitely picking them as a dark horse. I don't think anyone was quite anticipating this. If you had told me before the tournament that UConn was in the final four, I would have said, okay, I can see a world in which that's happening. But, you know, I think again, the, the complete collapse of the one seed line uh, in this tournament uh, in all variety of manners for all variety of reasons uh, really opened us up to something very different. Uh, and some great basketball was played. I know the ratings didn't necessarily reflect that, uh, and I think that there was some some hurt all around from that, but just some really, really good basketball uh, that was played, you know, Kansas State games, FAU games, San Diego State games, really, really impressive stuff. So uh, as, a, as someone that watches a little bit more closely, I had a lot of fun watching the tournament. Uh, the, you know, the final game was a bit of a letdown. I was hoping for a little more, but, you know, San, San Diego State just couldn't score well enough uh, to compete with UConn. And UConn, frankly, you know, had they not run into some injury issues in the middle of the year, maybe they would have been a one seed. I mean, they, they had a lot of talent, a lot of talent. So, uh, you know, as far as the NCAA and the parody run amok, I, you know, I, I, I just think there's some conferences that you just don't know what they are. And to keep it local to your point, Adam, the big town is the biggest one. What, what, what is this conference? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. I, I don't have a clue. You know, they're going to, particularly if Zach Eady comes back next year to Purdue, between Purdue and Michigan State, you're going to have two teams picked probably in the top five, maybe top seven uh, preseason rankings. Is that real? I, I don't know. I don't have a clue. You know, even even some of the big guys like Kansas, you know, they had, didn't have their head coach, Bill Self, you know, and got knocked off by a pretty gritty Arkansas team. So you just don't know what you can rely on anymore. Um, it's, uh, yeah, just wild. You, you know, before we leave college basketball, I, I, I maybe I, I, when I saw the news, I was pretty excited, though I think the more I thought about it, maybe it makes sense. And maybe if you're a bit of a minute against Juwan Howard, but with Hunter Dickinson leaving the program, uh, and at last check, I, I don't know if it's been announced where, where if he's figured out where he's going to go, but it's it can and I use the word indictment. It might be a little that might be a strong word for what we're talking about here. But I I think in general, um, when you have a guy that was really your heart and soul of your your team your um, <laughs> of your program leave with one more year, uh, you get the feeling that probably he thinks that he can do more. Uh, maybe he can get better coached, and, and maybe because right now I mean borderline NBA player is the the overall consensus, right? Um, and you, you just wonder whether or not uh, he, I'd like to know way more about what exactly. Yeah, sure. I think it's a 
this is a make or break year for Juwan. You know, it's hard to imagine that, you know, a couple of years removed from an elite eight run and a team that I still contend was pro- maybe the best team in the country that year when healthy now to this, you know, two back-to-back years where you can't break 20 wins, which should be a given for this program and has been a given for this program since about 2010, 2012. Um, you know, with Dickinson, I think two things can be true. I think it can absolutely be an indictment on the current state of the regime. Um, at the same time, on the floor, you know, it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. Um, he, not Hunter Dickinson, anywhere outside of the paint is a terrible defender. Uh, I would wager amongst the worst in the country, and that's why he will never make it to the NBA. It's because he can't defend the pick and roll. Uh, and Terrace Reed, who's the young guy up behind him, is an elite defender already, uh, even at a young age. You know, they've added some guys from the transfer portal. I don't know if they're a tournament team or not, but, you know, there's a lot of addition by subtraction, in my opinion, with Hunter Dickinson and Jet Howard uh, on that on that basketball court. And so make or break here for Juwan. Uh, and I think Adam, we won't have time to dig into it today, but when we do, when we talk about NAL money, I think that is ultimately where the answer to your riddle is about Hunter Dickinson. Okay. And, and, and you know, I admit out loud, I, I realize that's a very, very big topic in, in college sports these days. And, and I... I will admit I am one to know almost nothing about it. I, I'm not, and and part of it is I haven't put in the effort to go out of space in terms of my 35 years of watching college sports. That um, I, I, I it probably is just it's just something I'm ignoring. So, but yes, at some point I need to learn more about the NIL. So. I, I think that is the prevailing wisdom and conversation on, on radio, on some of the forums or whatever, is that basically he's going around the country seeing who will pay him the most money. Uh, and, and, you know, with that, you know, hoping for the opportunity to win a national championship and, you know, certainly cement maybe a two-way contract. I think he's someone who could make a lot of money in Europe uh, for a long time or elsewhere in some of these other leagues uh, with his personality and his brand. But he's going to Kentucky. He's going to Kansas. These are the schools he's visiting. They're going to pay him. High, high six figures, if not more. Uh, and they can't. So it's crazy. It's, it's insane. And then don't think that, you know, Michigan didn't do it back to, you know, they lured Caleb Love from the University of North Carolina. Who's, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, a scorer, uh, to be sure. I don't know much else. You can bet he got paid, too. So. Yeah, that's just the world. I don't know anything about at this point. And, and, I, and, I, and I actually, in my opinion, think it's having a bigger impact in college basketball than I think it's having in football. Um, just because I think the overall stability of football programs and kind of where they sit gives them more leverage in conversations with players than in basketball. Well, football is a much more team sport, um, whereas individual players can make a name for themselves. It, a much higher percentage of basketball players can make a name for themselves, whereas in football, yes, there are still those players who can do that, but Basketball is a different game. It really is. And I think that's where you're going to see a lot of this NIL money come into more prominence. And it's really, and, and I don't know a lot of the rules and regulations behind it, but it's going to be very interesting to see what ways the big programs break those rules in order to, because we know that's what's going to happen, in order to lure top talent to them which then breaks up this whole parody model that we've been talking about potentially um yeah and i was always a proponent to be fair of college basketball players getting paid 
Um, so, but I think, well, that's a, that is a huge topic for another time, but, um, it will be very interesting to see how this all plays out. And there are a lot, I can tell you from some level of personal experience, there are a lot of rules behind NIL stuff. Um, there's some very detailed language you have to have in contracts, things of that nature, but I don't know. <laughs> it's. I'll, I'll be very curious how this all works out because when you yeah. read about the general financial health of these athletic administrations, it, it's not very good. Right. No. I mean, and, and that's where the, 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 this really, really because, and, and I understand. I can understand the why, but the whole point being is if you do not have the infrastructure to do it, it, it really is a road to disaster in my estimation. So, yeah. But again, like we said, we'll, 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 we'll dive into it a little further in another show. Yeah. I, I would like to do that because there's other pieces of this puzzle too, with state institutions and how much taxpayer money is, is getting, uh, thrown in to help bring these programs into balance and there's there's a whole other world that we oh, can yeah. get into there but yeah. Yeah. anyway that said that's going to wrap us up for ncaa for the moment um much more to follow um yeah much much more to follow that said though the other thing back as we uh, continue to do our our warping backwards in time just wanted to wrap up on the Masters. John Rahm with a really strong victory at the Masters, uh, staving off uh, a Phil Mickelson run, uh, who had just a uh, insane final round. It still wasn't really close, but it just it caught my attention. Um, and uh, Kepka was close for quite a while, um, but just uh, couldn't stay with it. Uh, what are your takeaways from that? Well, I'll tell you something. I mean, I, I think the victory that John Rahm put on because of the start and stops of the play and the, just the lack That's of continuity in the play was really incredible. I mean, it was really incredible when you consider the start and stops, the, the obviously the undertone of the PGA versus the LIV, um, you know, piece, uh, and especially when you consider uh, you know, it was Patrick Reed and, and uh, um, Phil Mickelson, and uh, um, obviously Brooks Kepka there at the at at, at the top. Um, so I that that's certainly uh, um, you know a very uh, uh, no, no, notable item. Uh, but 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 really, in all honesty, I think it's just it, it was just such an impressive victory by John Rahm. Uh, and and I, I think on the other side. Um, it, it really does appear, and I, I don't know if it was the pressure of the Masters because it, it one missing one from the uh, um, uh, career grand slam, uh, or or maybe it was the undertone of the LIV versus PGA again. But it's the, the Roy McIlroy kind of, uh, and when when he looked like he was really starting to get into the groove there, uh, to to absolutely not show up at all uh, was a better favorite going into the tournament. Um, that, that, that's something to watch. It, it is Rory a guy who is starting to really crumble under since she's been really that main spokesperson, uh, you know, for the PGA versus the 
um, uh, you know, the LIV. And I, I, I but but I, I tend to believe I think it has more to do with him wanting to win that Masters so bad. But uh, uh, we'll, we'll know a lot more uh, when the PGA Championship comes up. Uh, I believe it's the uh, third weekend of uh, May. So and, and I think uh, it'll be at Oak Hill, a very historic golf course. Um, and uh, has hosted a number of U.S. Open, and uh, um, we'll, we'll see if, if Rory can kind of right his ship a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, the one thing I would add to you know, kind of the impressiveness of John Rahm's victory, even on the last day, was the absolutely absurd pace of play from the group in front of him, uh, which extended and drew out the Masters just in an absurd way. I think uh, both of those things, both the the overall start starters and stoppages. And the pace of play on the last day really threw a guy like Kepka off, who was playing quite well. I had the chance to watch more of the Masters, the first two days of the Masters than I normally would this year, and he was just on fire. I mean, he was Brooks Kepka of old, and he was just running through things. Uh, and it really looked like it was his to win, and I think that those startages and stoppages really got in his head a bit, and he struggled uh, with some of the mental aspects of the game by his own admission in the Netflix documentary uh, that came out in February, uh, which is certainly worth checking out if you enjoy uh you enjoy golf. Um, you know, he just didn't seem to have it, but you know, a big, big hit for the PGA, I think. I mean, not only, you know, the, the tightness of the last couple of rounds, all the attention around live and the PGA, uh, but good ratings for them. And it spilled over into the RBC heritage, uh, and quite a thriller between Spieth and uh, Fitzpatrick. Uh, and Spieth played quite well at the masters too, uh, which is always good for the ratings. So, I thought it was a fun, a fun tournament to watch and a good one for the PGA, quite frankly. Um, I forgot Patrick Reed existed, so it's great to know that he's back. <laughs> um, you know that is something. Um, that is something that I had forgotten is that the pace of play was pretty crazy. I remember I read a, I read a stat on that. Uh, I forget how long they waited. It was something like an hour and a half of wait time throughout the um 97 minutes yeah and that's crazy that really is crazy i think they need a pitch clock so um you're, you're also talking about the shortest course of any of the majors yeah you're not talking about you know a, some crazy long bomb course you know whatever where you got 600 yard par fives like it's the masters you know just take the shot you're gonna lose anyways patrick just take the shot <laughs> well, they did have some pretty crazy greens this time too. Um, we did see, got to see some real interesting putting, um, to say the least. It really felt like it was something you could relate to. <laughs> but in any case, so that's um, I guess it is worth noting since it is the Masters. Um, Tiger Woods withdrew after putting up a 74 and a 73, but his body was just, no, you can't do this. Um, but it is, you know, there's a part of me that still uh, enjoys seeing him uh, out on the Masters course. Cause, so. Because there is no athlete that could do that. It's true. It's true. We have not seen another athlete that could do what he could do. It's insane. It is. Like, I mean, you can just see his upper body strength. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's 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 unfathomable what he's doing um, with the, with the, with the condition of his body. I, I cannot believe it. 
Um, I don't know how long, and obviously, you know, Adam alluded to this, I think, in our last show, how long we continue to do this. Not long, maybe another few years, but it's it's a feat. For sure. You know, when you well, consider I, some I, of the names that, that missed the cut and shot higher scores than him, including Rory, like, pretty impressive. I, I think what will end up happening, if my guess is that he, I you know, the thing with Tiger is his desire to compete is almost not human, right? And he, he will probably at some point, and, and it will be like a reviving of the Champions Tour when he's fifth, which I believe is in three years, because at that point he can take a cart. There's no, there, there's nothing keeping him, and I think, I think that would be the, 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 the ultimate is that he would be able to play golf, he would be able to ride a cart, and hence the, the but, but really, and and I mean, the the thing is with the Masters is it, it is by far the toughest walk in golf by a large margin, right? I mean, it is it is a ridiculous walk, and so. Him having a problem, him coming up and and, and having what you know everything and how it happened, totally understandable, absolutely understandable. Uh, and 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 I I think again he he will as long as he able to drag that body is out there, he's going to try. I agree with that for sure, for sure. You said he's he's eligible in three years for the Champions Tour. I think he he he's. I always forget how old you are, but I think he's a year older than me. So I think yeah. he turned 47 this year. So I, um, wow, am I depressed? Uh, yeah, he's the same age I am. So um, I'm really depressed right now. Anyway, moving right along and um, to broken down bodies, uh, let's talk about Miguel Cabrera. Okay, maybe not. Um, <laughs> It's just a little bit painful to watch him at this point. It really is. Just knowing and, ha- you know, having watched him in his prime and what he was able to do and seeing him now, and you can tell, like, his legs are just like, no. And it, it, very similar to Tiger Woods. I mean, it, I really did draw parallels to those things where you could just see the lower yeah. half of his body just saying no. And that's what's happening to Cabrera at this point. But we knew that going in, and that's not really the story here as it pertains to the Detroit Tigers. Um, They still can't hit, although they're not as bad as last year. Now that isn't really saying much. These two topics are connected. Okay, please. Sure. Why, why, why can't they? Because they don't have any, they don't, they have very few MLB hitters. Because they threw uh, away a DH spot. I don't know why we're here. I don't know why we're doing this. Like, I don't understand why he didn't retire if this is what it was. You know, and I saw his one his walk-off, and it was unbelievable to see it. It was super cool to see the walk-off single in person. Stadium went crazy, all 3,000 of us. But, like, why are we here? <laughs> like, you can't, you know, get a real, even you see when, when Carpenter has a couple of decent games, what it does to the lineup to actually have a major league hitter in your DH spot. You know, our two yeah. most pedig- pedigreed hitters on paper, you know, Xander Bogarts has a higher OPS than those two combined, almost. Like, what what do you expect? Jonathan Scope? Well, I'm, I'm going to, uh, in an ideal world, Cabrera does retire after last season. 
So conceded, that point is conceded. But I'm going to argue that of all the problems with the Tigers lineup, that is not even in the top five. I, I think, or maybe it's number five. Like the, the bottom line is, is you still don't have a whole lot of other people anywhere yeah. who can but, hit the ball. But, but, but Justin, my, 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 I disagree with you. Him being on the team and him, us paying the salary that he, he's getting and getting as little back as we are getting. And then, you know, I, I, I talked to someone in the last couple of days and then they're like, you know, oh my God, Spencer Torkelson's the worst and so on and so forth. And I go, I, first off, Spencer is a very, very young player. We're like in the, like literally a second full year of professional baseball. That That's one. Two, he has absolutely, he, he has all the expectation of the world on his shoulder with absolutely no one, no one in the lineup remotely protecting him. Well, that, for sure. Yeah, for right. Sure. But, 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 and part of that is you've gone ahead and you put, you, you continue to have two guys in, in your payroll, Miguel Caprera, and, and I know, okay, what the, he's got an eight game hitting streak now, but still, Javi Baez is, uh, is a, Relatively speaking, a gigantic waste of money. Well, and that's, I guess that's part of where I was going with this. One, complaining about Cabrera's contract, that's a sunk cost at this point. Like, we knew that the end of his contract was going to be a disaster. Maybe not as big of a disaster as it's been, but we knew it wasn't going to be good. Um, That his body was going to break down. No question about that. And... Torkelson obviously does not have the production in the lineup that he needs. Also very true. But I think Javi Baez, who actually has a lower OPS than Miguel Cabrera this season, that to me is a bigger issue. Javi Baez is maybe 30. I don't know if he turned 30 or will turn 30 this year. Okay. He's a guy who's we, – we need him to be the best hitter on the team or one of the best hitters on the team. You know – um, I think the questions have been answered on Jonathan Scope. You know, we were wondering, okay, last year, bad year, he's going to bounce back and at least be playable. I don't know that he'll last much longer on the roster. Um, they'll keep him around for some period of time as they let the guys down in Toledo get some more at-bats, get going. And I want to talk about Toledo before we before we wrap on this topic because there's some really optimistic things going on or some really positive things going on in Toledo. Um, but the the reality of the situation is you look at the Tigers lineup and, you know, the best hitter is Jake Rogers average wise, and then Zach McKinstry. Okay. So there's, I feel like this goes back to Brandon's point from the off season is why didn't we go out and pick up a corner bat to help, put some protection in this lineup and because Cabrera for example has had 39 plate appearances right like less than half of most of the other starters so it's not like he's in the lineup every day it does eat up a roster spot that's true so we can we can debate back and forth on the merits of that but the reality of the situation is there's nothing else going on I like what I've seen out of Kerry Carpenter Um, he's got a good bat I think he's He's going to be hanging around. Riley Green has struggled this season. Not a surprise. His second year in the game, he's 22 years old. He's going to be fine. Everyone just needs to shut up. Um, 
I, I, but, I'm not talking about Riley Green, so I don't, but oh. I will just say I would like him to, well, no, no, I'm saying, I'm not, gonna, I'm not complaining about him, but I would like for him to stop swinging at everything. <laughs> well, he's is, been watching Avi. Is something he can control, no matter what year he's in, is his play yes. discipline, and he needs to really stop yes. swinging at everything. Yes. Um, I well, totally it, agree with him, uh, your take on him otherwise, but just like, let's just. Uh, no, swinging at literally everything. He struck out 29 times already this season. That's a big deal that they need to address. No question there. No question there. Um, Spencer Torkelson, I have a little bit more concern with him. But again, I think on a different team, he's a very different baseball player. Yes. And I think he's going to be fine. Again, he's 23 years old, for crying out loud. And he clearly is no longer behind the fastball, because that was one of his really big things last year. Now, part of that, I think, is attributable to the fact that the Tigers really put a lot of emphasis last year on hitting to the big part of the field, so they were trying to have inside-out swings on a lot of their guys. But I think Torkelson, from that year off of COVID, that really impacted his timing and his ability to hit the ball. Um, and, you know, as much as we want to throw shade at Avila's drafting or what have you, I don't think Avilo was the one who actually created the COVID-19 virus in the secret in his secret lab in Wuhan. So I'm not going to blame him for that part. Um, that said, you know, we brought in some other guys in the offseason, Maton, Veerling. There's things to like about them, but 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 Maton's hitting 131. I mean, yeah, he had a couple really nice home runs, you know, a walk-off winner. But, I mean, at some point, you got to find something else. And at this point, let's say they just, let's say Cabrera finally just um, goes on the injury list, which is still, I think, a possibility that at some point he will just be like, okay, I've done my thing. I'm going to just be on the DL and root the team on. Okay, who's sliding into a spot? Tyler Nevin? who is like over his time up here. Now he was great in Toledo. Like, like there's just nothing there. And, and it's, um, I guess I'm not saying anything that is a shock though, because we didn't do anything to improve the team in a meaningful way in the off season. Me, maybe in the future, maybe Veerling and Maton are going to be, really good. I think Veerling's a legit Major League Baseball player, first off. So I think he belongs on a roster. Maybe not as a starter, but he belongs on a Major League roster. Okay. I got that. Maybe Maton too. But we should not be surprised at the grossness of what we're seeing on the field. And without... And, and, I, and I have to really... I my position has definitely swung towards yours, Brandon, where I, I was kind of pushing back on the whole idea of going out and getting a bat um, in the off season. But now looking at it, I'm like these guys need protection in the lineup. And I didn't expect it to be quite as bad as it is, to be honest. Now it's still April, but. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think I guess my, I guess my like, what are we doing here? is almost about the way that the Cabrera situation was handled with like mutual enthusiasm. Like, Oh yeah, this is what we're doing. I'm just like, why? Like we knew this is what it was going to be. Right. I mean, I will concede that two, three years ago, there is a world in which, you know, he didn't have some, like he was breaking down physically, 
But I would concede that there was a world in which maybe he stayed healthy for a better part of those years and that he was producing in a way that, you know, added the value. So I guess that was really more my point. But yeah, I mean, they're, they, the, the pantry's empty. Yeah. Like, I just don't know how they expected to to help these guys develop. You know, even though Maytown and, and Beerling are, are older than Torkelson and Green, I mean, they're not that older. No, you know? they're and 25. This is, their, yeah. this is the, you know, their second professional season in many ways, too, you know, and they've been platoon guys at best. So, you know, how, you, you just can't whiff everywhere, and, you know, and and Badu as well. Yeah, you yeah, know, Badu's Austin 24. Meadows. Right. Austin yeah. Meadows. Like, what? You know, it just, I, I just, I'm wondering, like, how are they going to climb out of this? How are they going to reconstruct this roster to climb out of this to give some of these guys a chance? You know, and I think Green and Tarkelson have such overwhelming talent that they will be fine. Uh, you know, having seen Torkelson in person a couple times this year, he hits the ball harder than anyone else that we have on this team. That's true. Um, he he yeah. hits the ball hard, and he has a good swing. Um, but some of these other guys, like, I don't know how we expect them to to, to step up a bit if, if they, we don't have ML, an MLB lineup. It's, it's a real problem. And I, I think the Tigers need to make some moves this year that are not – good long-term moves in order to generate momentum eat up a big contract at the trade deadline we're not spending any money you know we're spending with the brewers and the diamondbacks and you know the twins are out spending us by 30 million this year like we're not spending any money but you got the money you know i don't even care about the money it makes no difference to me because they're not spending me you know they're at 112 plus injury injured reserve that's nothing in, in the mlb right now spend some money pick up a bad contract at the deadline a guy who can hit the ball. You can eat the contract. You've been eating bad contracts, clearly, without any problem because you've owned them. So then pick up a couple, you know, and give these guys a chance down the stretch. You know, even if it's not in the long-term rebuild. Yeah. I, I You know, what's really interesting, too, is that when you're looking at the, the, the hitting being so terrible and they continue to get injuries in the, in the pitching, and they still the, – the, the pitching has been, again, just – remarkably good on, on this team right and, and you know it's it just but then the other you know to Brandon's point you want to go out maybe, maybe you you know at some point you want to trade some of those arms but the problem is the arms that I think people will want are not healthy right and, you know you, of course you got the Matt Manning injury that happened you know and, and it seems like the 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 uh, you know the the crown jewels uh, of your of your pitching cupboard are not available at this point. You, you, you know, school unhealthy, Mize obviously injured. Now Matt Manning, you don't really know when Matt Manning's coming back. About six um, weeks. Yeah, uh, you know, and and you know, it, I think the good news too is that I mean, I think another crown jewel. I, people maybe disagree with this. This Spencer Turnbull is a guy that I think. Definitely has this stuff to be a very, very good major league baseball uh, pitcher, uh, starting pitcher in this league. Um, but uh, um, you, you know, I mean, that that it, it seems like you're just you're, you're hampered everywhere. But but again, to Brandon's point, you know, you you do have to go out and spend some money in order to be an all right major league baseball team. And I don't really understand the strategy behind having such a low payroll. I really don't. So 
that is one of the, the questions is why this off season is what, or, you know, why this year as well? Like I got last year to a certain extent this year. And, and granted, we still went out and signed some big contracts last year, Baez and Rodriguez and what have you. But um, I, I was confused by that. And I guess maybe it's more of the, I want to see what's here before I do anything. But it does make me nervous, certainly. But I think it is important. Well, go ahead, Brandon. No, I was just going to say, and then when you think about what's coming off the books, right? Cabrera yeah. plus scope. I mean, what? That's what forty-five million or something. I don't know. Not like that's a lot of money. At least forty. Off the books. Yeah. At least yeah. forty, and then whoever else might be coming off next year that I don't have off the top of my head. But I know those two guys are coming off, and then you're talking about a team with, you know, eighty, eighty-five million dollars in payroll. Right. Like, can you can you even spend enough? Like, we're not attractive enough to even spend the kind of money to get them to the middle of the pack next year when those two contracts roll off. So it's going to be a third year of this because they're literally not going to be able to spend enough to even get to the middle of the pack. Yeah. I mean, and then also, I mean, the thing is, is the way things are going right now, um, you know, Baez is not, his contract's not coming off. He has an opt out. So does Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, If he continues to pitch well, maybe his contract also <laughs> goes away. Well, I, you know, I like to bring, um, you know, uh, joy and happiness to any conversation. Here's my pitch. I say we offer Juan Soto one year, $100 million, and give him the Hudson building that's being constructed in downtown Detroit. That's my pitch. <laughs> one year, $100 million. He's and not even betting. Remarkably, he's not even betting 200 He will. Okay. He will. So yeah, coming off next season, uh, Cabrera's thirty-two million, Boyd's ten million, um, Lawrenson's eight point five, Scopes seven point five. Um, that's really what you needed to know. Um, Rodriguez could opt out fourteen million. Baez theoretically could opt out, but only if only we were that lucky at twenty-two million. And if the Tigers decide that Meadows isn't coming back and they choose to non-tender him, which is a real possibility, that's another $4.3 million. Uh, and then the next highest salary on the team is Jose Cisnero, who is also an unrestricted free agent at $2.3 million. I mean, we're talking about Marlins kind of payroll right here. Yeah. Yeah. So seriously. Okay, I'll, let me, let me tw- switch up it, and I'll, I have to revise the offer. How about Otani? One year, two hundred million, Done. and we actually just give him like annex a part of the state of Michigan for him. <laughs> I'm good with that. I am. Um. Anyway, that's. I mean, that is really truly the state of things right now. But I think it is important to go back and talk quickly about the pitching too, Adam, that you brought up because I think it is still remarkable. I was a little nervous with how much of the bullpen they got rid of, but after a rocky start, the bullpen's settling down and they're doing exactly their job. And Joey Wentz, you know, he's struggling right now as the Tigers' fifth starter, but bear in mind, he is at best the Tigers' eighth starter uh, and maybe ninth or tenth, depending on whether or not you consider Brieski ahead of him or if Tyler Alexander wasn't in the bullpen. So, I'm not mad about how their starting pitching is doing. Turnbull coming off Tommy John, a little bit rocky, but he'll be fine. I yeah. I, I believe I, I'm I definitely pleased with the starting pitching. And again, it is a credit 
this is the one thing you can credit in the organization is they have pitching depth. So that's good. Yes. Yeah, yes. No, and I mean, and, and they've done it both ways, right? They've, they've done it with the drafting and the, and the development. And of course, then they've gone out and they've, they've found, you know, pitchers that they can work with, with both free agency, right? And and it's just, it, it's like a shame that they can't take whatever that magic is that they have with the pitching and do it with the hitting. I, 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 and, and part of it too, though, is that, and, and we had this conversation a year ago, and I think it was you, uh, uh, Justin, that did a good job of, of making sure that we understood from a pitching perspective and, and based from a stat perspective, you know, the uh, depending on the uh, strategy being used, primarily the free swinging of of major league bat batters that they're happy to happen across the league. You've got to maybe temper a little bit of your uh, uh, surprise or, or general overall um, uh, positive uh, feeling that you're getting from the pitching based on just the, the swing and, and swing for the fences or bust approach that most of these teams have anyways. So. so that all said, the one thing where I can see Harris starting to make his mark on the organization is what we're seeing in Toledo. And there's some really good news there and also some not as good news down in Toledo. But now, as being somebody who consistently stays on top of Toledo for many years, it was very common that Toledo would put up performances very similar to the major league team. They put up some runs, they would walk once and strike out 15 times. I mean, that has just been the Tigers' way for the last two decades. And now we're seeing this Toledo team walk six or seven times now, they're still striking out about 12 times, but there is a concerted change to plate approach, which is what Harris has talked about. And certainly, if Toledo's any indication, that's the type of player they're going after. And the good news is some of these younger guys, that's exactly what they're de- doing, right? Uh, Akil Badu has really improved with his plate discipline. Um and a, a variety of these other guys have done a much, much better job. Parker Meadows, uh, Andre Lipsius are guys who, coming up through the system, actually have decent plate discipline, uh, if not even good in Lipsius's case. So that's good. But then the crown jewel there is Justin Henry Malloy. Um, and I saw an article, uh, it might have even been Lynn Henning, who said, um, there may be Chris McCoskey, who said that Malloy is the best overall hitter in the Tigers organization as it pertains to plate discipline. And that might very well be true. Um, he's walked 20 times, struck out 17. You know, his ops is uh, 1109. He is, at least as AAA is concerned, the real deal. 23 years old. Defensively, not so good. Um, but I look forward to him being on this team at some point this summer. Um, and that's the that's the good news as it pertains to Toledo and that other young guys are coming up with that plate discipline. That makes me happy. What I will also say, though, is Meadows and Lipsius, for example, people were upset that they didn't come up in spring training. Well, you know why? Because they weren't ready. And this season has shown that. They're playing fine in Toledo, 
but they aren't killing the world. And nor, nor would I expect them to. They still need some development time. Tigers do have a number of other 4A players down in Toledo who are doing the same things. So it does show that Harris is thinking about that. Andy Abanez is in that same thing. Jonathan Davis, good plate discipline. Brendan Davis, decent plate discipline. So it's clear that he's Zach Short, who I pick on all the time, very decent plate discipline. So clearly there is a strategy here, but we're a long way from happy times. Well, on that I'll, cheerful note, yeah, I'll, I'll be interested too. You know, when you think about the schedule that they've had, right? They faced the double race, and I think we've learned that the double race are unbelievable. They that did, they, are. They, they they fared pretty well, obviously against the Astros. But um, you know, and I, honestly, in my mind, the biggest disappointment was the opening home series against the Red Sox. But but uh, you know, even in the, you know Baltimore, the, that that's a really really good organization right now. So. Um, I'll be curious when they are playing, you know, the Twins and, and the uh, Royals and more of the Central um, uh, Division uh, teams. What exactly? How does this Major League Baseball roster uh, perform at that point? And I think that, uh, um, and, and I'm not saying it's going to be dramatically different, but I think it's going to be a, a pretty good litmus test uh, to kind of tracking where the rat was in the division, because in the end where are you ranking your division or how you play in your division is of the utmost importance with the way the schedule is. So. And they and couldn't have a, almost couldn't have a worse division. I mean, like, right. yes. it's so bad. True. I mean, I think the twins will probably win. Um, you know, Cleveland, good grief. They didn't even look like they wanted to play baseball against the Tigers in that series. Like, I mean, they, they just literally looked like they were just done playing baseball. Uh, the game, especially the game that you rod pitched, where it looked like they were just like throwing, you know, just throwing the bat at the ball to try to go home. So, you know, Chicago looks awful. Kansas City's awful. You know. I, yeah. No, I. I, 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 I just, mean, can you it, imagine if they were in the AL East? No. No. Well, no. I mean, I, I mean, they win thirty games. So, I mean, but they hit more home runs just by playing occasionally in Yankee <laughs> yeah. Stadium. But. That's correct. And and Tampa, frankly. So Yeah, true. But yeah, Tampa's pretty good. Not bad. So, on that exciting note, and something else we'll have to talk about in the future, too, is MLB is looking very strongly to expand. Yay. And um, the Oakland A's are leaving Oakland. Um that's a whole other topic of conversation right there. I mean, why wouldn't you want to expand when you have teams like Oakland and Colorado the, and Detroit that are just so good and, the, and Kansas City and the quality of talent is just so high? You know, I mean, I want to see three more teams with nothing but Zach McKistries on it. That's what I mean. Well, that's what you're going to get. Right. I mean, it's just it's so stupid. <sighs> But McKinstry looked like he might have a good slap shot. I don't know if you saw him celebrating his home run, but apparently this is, and granted, this is very rare for the Tigers to hit home run, yeah, but right. when they do hit home run, they put on a Red Wing helmet and take a slap shot in the dugout. I'm more concerned about his pitching and his 18 ERA. That's true. That's true. That's why we should have kept Harold Castro. 
I got my Castro reference in. He's not doing so so hot though uh, this season. You know who is doing hot? Jamer Candelario is actually off to a very nice start to the season. But we talked about that being a possibility too. So um, let's go from one depressing thing to another and talk about uh, betting and Detroit Lions. Um, four Lions overall were suspended for violating the league betting policy. Solid, solid work, guys. Uh, Jamison Williams, uh, first round draft pick in 2022, in fact. Um yeah, he did some betting things while on sanctified NFL turf, and uh, he has been suspended for six games, um, which is not great. Uh, Stanley Berryhill being the other line who was suspended for six games, and then a couple of Lions who were suspended indefinitely in, uh, well, former Lions now, in C.J. Moore and uh, Quintez Cephas. So, hmm. Solid work, guys. Five guys in the NFL, and four of them were on the Lions. Good job. Sorry, I can't. I just, I mean, what? I mean, seriously, come on. It's very strange. I, I don't. You, you, you would think you'd know better, right? I mean, and and you know, of course, course, the irony is that the suspension was handed down four days short of. Al, uh, uh, for the 60th anniversary of Alex Harris being banned from the NFL for Candlelight. So um, a little bit ironic the way that all shaped up. Uh, poor decisions obviously appeared to be a very, some sort of message that did not permeate in the organization based on the number of suspensions, not only of players, but um, office staff, you know, administration. And, uh, I'm not really sure what the goal was, but but uh, you know, other than I guess be dumb or whatever. But the bottom line is is that uh, you 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 cannot have that period in the story. And you can complain that well, it's weird that if you know Jameson Williams goes in his apartment house, whatever, that he would you know not have been suspended. Well, that, that that's neither here nor there. The rules are the rules, and obviously either not yeah. communicated or apathetic or selfish or whatever um you you it's it, it's just a bad it's a bad look yeah i mean the, the lines in my opinion are from a, a position of of kind of leverage and momentum you know at a high point arguably in the last 25 years for them maybe there's a few moments here and there in the stafford calvin johnson era where you could say maybe they were similarly positioned but the momentum they have the weakness of their division and the strength of their assets going into this draft, to me, had them at the apex of momentum in, in their recent history. And, you know, this is just so depressing because, one, you know, you've got to now potentially adjust your, your draft strategy a tiny, tiny bit. I'm not talking about the top rounds, but you do have some depth issues now in that receiver room. You know, Marvin yeah. Jones is pretty old. Uh, you know, how much can you really count on from, you know, the Raymond and, and, and you know, and Reynolds, you know, obviously you got Amon Ra. Very good. So, you know, now you got to address that. It's going to further, you know, further set back Williams' development, you know, as a guy that was actually going to get quite a bit of looks this year. So it's just disappointing because they really should be ascending, in my opinion, to, you know, uh, being a really hot team in the NFL. And in conversation, if you look on websites and, 
and 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 commentary like the lions are all over the, those discussions uh particularly going into this draft i mean almost every mock draft you read starts with some kind of vignette about what the lions choices are because they are so well positioned so what a disappointment for sure so let's talk about the draft and where you know what, what do you see and i i personally i'm a little overwhelmed by all the mock drafts and all the other things so where do you see where do you see the lions going here because to your point i don't think it changes their important strategy but at the back end it probably does three wide receivers you know you lose you got to get some depth in in that wide receiver position so maybe it does change things um but where do you see the lions what do you see them doing next weekend Brandon, I want to hear from you first. Well, I guess I'll start with what my kind of like baseline is. There's only one thing, in my opinion, that can be a mistake for them. Uh, and, and that is taking a quarterback in round one. If they don't do that with some of the needs they have and how they're positioned, it's hard for me to see them flopping in round one, honestly. Um, is there a tight I, end they can take? Sorry. I don't know that that's a bad thing, uh, to be quite honest okay. with you. Um, particularly if they use the, the number 18 pick on it, would I do that? No, I would not do that. I, yeah. I subscribe to the all defense all the time, uh, school of lines, mock drafts this year. Um, you know, I, what I guess, what, what I'm guessing is you probably see a balance. Is they're going to take either, you know, the best corner or, you know, maybe what's his face from Georgia, whose name is escaping me at the moment, Carter, or maybe Witherspoon in the, in the top 10. And then maybe they'll roll the dice on an offensive player, you know, at 18, um, I don't even think a trade, if it was done smartly, would be the worst thing in the world if they moved down a few spots at, at the back end of round one. So um, what can they do? Almost anything, in my opinion, would be positive with the draft assets they have and the way the team is constructed. Um, so maybe that's a little bit of a cop-out answer, but this is – I'm never going to be as optimistic about the Lions as I am today, probably. So because they really do have an opportunity to do something very cool in this draft with these with these picks. Just don't take a quarterback in round one. Don't do it. Is that because you don't like the quarterbacks? Um, I would say, I, I, I mean, if they, yes, I guess, positionally, right? And by that, I mean where they would take them in the draft, right? Okay. Um, obviously, what I want, do, if they had the first pick, I want them to take a quarterback either, no, but there are guys out there that could potentially be worth it at number one. But taking someone at six, the best guys are going to be off the board at that point, most likely at 18, you know, I guess maybe if an Anthony Richardson fell to 18, maybe, but I don't see that happening. I don't want any part of the guy from Kentucky, Levis or whatever. No, thank you. So no, I, yeah, I just don't, for where they're picking what's available, I, I think it'd be a huge mistake. If they so, want to roll the dice in, in round two, I guess. I, I, I think, I think, one thing I would make sure that people, uh, in, in my personal opinion, uh, they're going to have to take a quarterback at some point in this draft, okay. right? Okay. And, and they're going to have to take someone of value at some place. So I'm okay. I'm of the opinion that's one of two quarterbacks. That's either Anthony Richardson or Hendon Hooker. Um, the Hennon Hooker, of course, would be a little disappointing because, again, he's 26 and, and older. But with him being in the same uh, hometown as Ray Agnew, I think there's a relationship there. He has met several times with the Lions. Um, and I, I would not be surprised if that's someone that they 
uh, try to even sneak back into round one and try to get. Um, but, um, you know, to me, when I'm looking at this draft, I think the, the biggest message that, uh, the, that everyone is going to have to look at is they're going to – there, the, the emphasis is not just 2023. It's the it, it's the span, and that's why even the Jamison Williams, from a football standpoint, it's not the end of the world. Because I think that this this the the Fords are wanting to build this as a perennial contender, unlike they've ever done in the past. Uh, and so that's where I can see a guy like Anthony Richardson, who's thought to have a high ceiling, to be one of those guys. I don't. I think Jalen Carter is going to be gone by the time it gets to six, anyways. And in fairness, I think if they can somehow trade back to ten and eleven and get another draft pick for next year, another first round draft pick, that's exactly what they would want to do. And I think, especially too, when you think about the draft being in Detroit next year, um, that they, they would want to have quite a bit of presence in that first round. Um, uh, uh, and, and I think again. It's not jokes. A lot of with the, a lot of things to happen in the draft is about PR as well, and I think that's something to take into consideration. But to your point, um, Brandon, I I do agree. You're going to have to have a balanced defense and offense in this draft. Uh, you're going to see this team probably pick a quarterback, a running back, and, and probably at least one wide receiver. Well, at the same time, they're going to want some, you know more players in that defensive line uh, and eventually get a cornerback, especially based on the contracts that are there at, at this point. Uh, and they've done a really, really, but I think the beauty though, is they've done a great job of setting up this roster where they can literally do the biggest cliche thing of all time, which is pick the best player available. And I think that that's where, but, and again, the, the players that they will pick is not just for 2023. It's going to be about where they're going to go forward. Another offensive player, they're going to have to pick a guard at some point, offensive guard. Jonah Jackson will not be on this team next year. Offensive guards are getting paid ridiculous money now at probably somewhere. He will maybe get upwards of $18 million next year season, which is remarkable for a guard, but it's true. Um, but th- those are the things. And I think, but, but, and, and it, I, I, I think you're going to see a lot of movement based on um, – I, I just think that there are guys that they specifically want. They have a list of maybe 10 guys that they absolutely want, and they'll do what it takes to get there. But at the same time, I think they understand the luxury of having two first-round draft picks as well. Uh, and it's great for both the negotiation standpoint with their players as well as being able to make sure that you're, again, solidifying your organization. So – yeah, we were in very much in agreement on the idea of moving back a couple of spots at six, because there's actually if Carter is not available at six to me, there's a huge cluster of defensive guys between eight and 15. And you could get what you need in that grouping if you wanted to, to trade back a few slots. And there may be someone and maybe, you know, again, you may be a little higher on Richardson than I am, um, but I could see a team wanting to move up to six for that reason to take him. Uh, and them being able to, you know, kind of parlay that into another pick this year or next year. It, it, it's a nice draft this year. Like the, the year that the uh, Tua was drafted and then they picked Okuda and whatever, that was a bad draft. And, and there was not a whole lot of disparity between the players at the top. And then once you got past the ball, I mean, basically, there wasn't, I mean, you, you could interchange them for, and, and it has yes. proven out that to, to be where. Now you're in a draft where the first five, six, seven, and I think there's going to be, I think somehow, and, and 
uh, Justin, to your point, the, the mock drafts are out of control. I think these things showing that you're going to have like maybe one or two quarterbacks in the first six, that's stupid. I think you're going to have at minimum three, if not four, um, you know, and, and, and I think, uh, because let's be honest, the quarterbacking, we have teams in the NFL today that are beyond desperate to get a quarterback. You, you, and, and, and at that point, you absolutely have to pick the guys that are available there to, to hopefully uh, um, catch, you know, gold and, and, and um, luck and whatever else uh, in order to you know, get your franchise moving in the I, right direction. That could potentially be a boon for the Lions if it happens. Anything that gets them within sniffing distance of Will Anderson Jr. is, you know, an, an absolute windfall for them. You know, maybe even to a lesser extent, Wilson from Texas Tech. I, Brandon, I, I, I have to tell you, I, um, I'm, I, don't get me wrong. You get Will Anderson, I'm, I'm happy. You, that, 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 that's a good thing. I have to tell you, I watched Will Anderson a decent amount of Alabama. He never really jumped out of the screen at me that, that the way I thought some other players, and, and I think the uh, Texas Tech player is definitely more of a, a personnel fit for this particular team as well. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Big day of the year as always for the Lions. It's draft day. That's used the running just, joke. Yep, used to be Sundays, just Sunday and a Monday, but now we've transformed it into a event, a marathon, a marathon. Yeah, yeah. that's it. <laughs> well, do you want to take on any more depression today, or or are we gonna are we gonna push the conversation about those other two teams? I I don't have the strength to talk about Diallo and. <laughs> Like I, I just can't. How Marvin Bagley and sixty-three centimeters. <laughs> I just don't physically don't have the strength. <laughs> Dwayne Casey uh, stepping up, down, yeah, sure. all around. Okay, fair enough. Another another ex coach in their sixties being absorbed into the front office. I I don't I. And I'm, I'm not, this is not an ageism statement as much as this, like how many co- who ex-coaches do you need in your front office at this point? So, I mean, yeah. I, I, uh, I don't know. Maybe next year we can ask the Tigers when Hinch is in our, in our office. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see. will be interesting to see. Well, in that case, then we'll save uh, Pistons and Red Wings post-mortem uh, for, Next time we're out here, obviously we'll have the Lions draft to talk about. We'll have a better idea what's going on with the Tigers. um, And we'll see what other wonderful things are uh, springing up from there. We'll be pretty deep into the playoffs probably uh, by the time we talk. So we can talk a little NBA, NHL playoffs as well. And I will leave you with this one fact from our fact department that next season, for the Detroit Tigers, if Baez and Rodriguez were to opt out of their contracts, the only guaranteed money that the Tigers would have to pay out is Cabrera's $8 million opt-out. That is the only guaranteed contract next season if they opt out. So just bear that in mind. They have The, the world is their oyster next year from a financial Perspective. Wonderful. Let's give Josh Donaldson five years at 50 million. Fantastic. Let's see what other corpses we can dig up in free agency next year. 
I knew you'd enjoy that, Brandon. Otani, two years, three hundred million. Just bear with me. <laughs> we can and afford it. Can he have District Detroit too? Yeah, we just absolutely. give him. We All give him Ford Field. Could ever want. Yeah. <laughs> Whew. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Did I tell you, by the way, I have to vent for just a brief moment. When I went to the Tigers game opening weekend, um, our parking lot was full. That really made me that made me mad. And I my ticket for the parking downtown, you know, because I have a season ticket parking spot was unavailable for the game. It just disappeared. It was just like. It will be given to you at a later date. Like, excuse me? So anyway, an angry phone call later, I was let into the parking lot. <laughs> just just going to say, not great, guys. Not great. And on that note, that'll wrap up another edition of Saturday Morning Sports Emporium for Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. My name is Justin Lee. It's all about the Benjamins, folks. That's what I'm leaving you with this week. We'll see you next time.